Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is episode 253 of Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Morrison here. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. As we get into our Persuasion Blunder, or Geeky Article of the Week, and get you some good content to get you more tools. That's the whole goal of this podcast. More negotiation, persuasion, self-persuasion, mindset, leadership, anything to do with influence tools, because the more tools in your toolbox, the more influential you're going to be. Example I like to use is the old post hole digger. I bet probably only 10, 15% of you have one or even know what it is, but it's one of those tools that when you need it, you need it. And if you had an influence tool that you only used once or twice a year, but it sealed that big deal, made you a lot of money, it's good to have in your toolbox versus losing the deal. Little Fatigue just got back from a two-day event in Chicago. Spent most of the time on charismatic leadership and persuasive presentation. Had a good group out there. Shout out to you. Had some good Chicago-style pizza. Was downtown. Everyone asked if I saw any murders. I guess there's a big trend in Chicago right now where it's not the safest place. I didn't see anything. I felt safe. In fact, where I was training, I believe, was overlooking what's called Millennium Park. I think I got that right. Where it has the home of the Chicago Bean. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's a big, merry, shiny, weird-looking, everyone-go-see-and-touches-it-needs-windex-to-be-cleaned. I asked some of the locals, some of the background history, what's going on, why it looks like that, and nobody knew. So I'm not sure if that was a trend or what was going on, but I was near the bean. But I'll give it to them. It's pretty cool looking. Not sure what the purpose is, but it was pretty cool looking. Let's kick it off today with the geeky article. This one's known as the cheerleader effect. Who doesn't like a good cheerleader? Bottom line, people appear better looking in groups. So this may help you or may hurt you, depending on your appearance. This is from Psychological Science. The lead researchers were Walker and Vole. And they found that with both men and women, both are perceived as more attractive when they're in a group than when they are alone. And what they found out is that generally people find average faces more attractive when they are in a group. And their definition was average means lots of different faces. They don't mean average looking, but just lots of different faces. So the lead researcher, Drew Walker, said that average faces are more attractive likely due to the averaging out of unattractive idiosyncrasies. So they said this cheerleader effect is when you look at a group of people, you see them as a group, and our brains average out their facial features. So if you're having a problem with your appearance, get into a group, you're going to look better. And this was true for both men and women. And they also joked, you might want to try to hang out with people who are a lot less average than you, so you really look a lot better. So there you have it, the important geeky article of the week, that in groups you're perceived differently. In fact, the science is called de-individuation, where not only is your appearance different, but you act differently when you're in a group. Whether you're at a concert, a sporting event, or in a group of people, a lot of times we act differently in a group. So A, you look differently when you're in a group, and B, you act differently. 
In fact, an interesting happened in Seattle. One of the bridges shut down. Everyone was on the way to work. Rush hour. Suicide jumper. Everyone had to stop. Bridge was closed down. Everyone's getting out of their car. Late for work. Not knowing what to do. And finally it started. Jump! Get it over with. Just jump! Now, you probably wouldn't do that when you're one-on-one. But in a group, you act differently. Again, it's called de-individuation. Sadly, the poor lady jumped. She survived. But still... Interesting lesson in human nature on groups. And so sometimes it's better to persuade in a group. Sometimes it's better to persuade one-on-one. Then, of course, we have to hear our good friend Homer with the blunder of the week. Don't, don't, don't! Now, this happened to me. Hungry for lunch. Decided to try a new place called Jersey Mike's. I don't know where they are in the country. I've seen them all over the place. But Jersey Mike's, it's a sub place you can get your sub and went in there and there was three or four people not a big line guy but man this line was slow they were taking their time employees were sitting down doing other stuff and i could tell it was gonna be a while and so i left and went through the drive through across the street which was jimmy john's and i think their slogan is freaky fast and it was freaky fast and I had got my meal, my sandwich, my change, and was heading back. And the guy in front of me still had not placed their order at Jersey Mike's. So speed is becoming more and more of an issue. Convenience is becoming more of a more of an issue. Seeing other employees taking breaks or just taking their time and going real slow, having no ownership, has become a real issue. And I probably won't go back. I mean, a lot of these places you try for the first time, you give them one shot if it's not good enough. And I think you get to try the food, not going back. So that is the blunder. Speed is an issue. And if you're making somebody wait, make sure you manage their expectations. Big blunder, and I bet you the store owner doesn't even know that nobody there cared, nobody there was going fast that they lost business because of the lack of ownership. So that would be a blunder for Jersey Mike's and a ninja for Jimmy John's. And we need to get some listener email. Jose from the Dominican Republic. Oh, boy! Says, Kurt, we haven't seen you in a few years. When are you coming back? I guess it has been a few years. I used to go over there quite frequently. Uh, Puerto Rico was probably the closest that I've been. I'll have to check my schedule, get back over there because don't need a big reason to get over to the Caribbean to get my toes in the sand and do a little training. Lots of fun, beautiful island, by the way, if you have not been there. Jose says, I just finished the psychology objections. Thank you. It dramatically increased my sales. My question is about questions. You mentioned the psychology objections that great persuaders ask three times more questions. So my question to you, what are the top 10 questions every persuader should use or have in their toolbox? Wow, put me on the spot. I'm just going to kind of wing this here. Questions you should ask. I think, first of all, we need to back up a little bit here and realize that questions should be prepared ahead of time. It's true, great persuaders do ask more questions. It's also true that introverts are more persuasive than extroverts because extroverts are salesy and pushy and introverts are more consultative, ask more questions, and we love to be consulted and hate to be sold. And you have to remember, people's attention spans are at an all-time low and questions grab their attention. They do. 
I believe questions always get answered. If they're listening to you, they always get answered. Maybe not out loud, but mentally, at least it's processing in their brain. And so if you've lost someone's attention and they've gone indifferent on you, you should have a great question. Don't just keep vomiting or presenting on them. Have a question, bring them back in. It's true of the negotiation process and the persuasion process. So here's the secret. I mean, it's really this simple. Great persuaders are better listeners. They ask more questions, and the prospect will tell you everything you need to know to persuade them if you just listen and ask the right questions. It can be that simple. You even have to look at the word choice in your question. A Stanford professor, Elizabeth Loftus, looked at questions, leading questions, what words to use, and she did an interesting study. I think we've mentioned it before on the show Remember, the archives are located at InfluenceUniversity.com. You can go back and look at some of the shows that we've had. That is free to you. Also, the advanced influence courses are available there. So she found a recording, a video recording of two cars crashing into each other and decided to test out word choice. It's also what I call verbal packaging and maximum influence. And another quick plug for the free book, Maximum Influence, the latest edition. Just pick up shipping and handling. That's at lawsofinfluence.com. Anyway, she had this video. She showed three groups of people. And what she was looking for was to get them to estimate the speed when they were crashing. First group, she asked how fast were they going when they contacted. The second group, how fast were they going when they hit. And the third group, how fast were they going when they smashed into each other. And she looked at the estimations. The smashed averaged 40.8 miles an hour. The hit group was 34 miles an hour. And the contacted group was 31.8 miles an hour. So not only are questions engaging and important, but you've got to figure them out ahead of time, write them down, use the best words possible. And I love the use of open-ended questions, the type of questions you can't answer with a yes or no to get the conversation going, to get more information. Now, if they're the type of person that's giving you way too much information and you're losing control of the conversation, maybe a few closed-ended yes-no questions to maintain control. But for the most part, open-ended questions are almost always the best to get the best information. So, in no particular order, Jose, let's talk about some great questions. One great question that should always be in your toolbox when you're trying to grab people's attention is, what's important about saving money? What's important about, so the keywords, what's important about, whatever that key term is that you're trying to find out what they're looking for about the product, about the service, about the solution, about getting past their problem, such an easy way to get things started, that would be one that you could work on. My other favorite is the perfect solution question. Hey, if I showed you the perfect solution to your needs, what would that look like? Or you could change that question up just a little bit and say, if a genie appeared and made everything perfect, what would that look like to you? It gets them thinking, and then you keep asking more questions. Well, why do you think that? Well, why do you feel that way? Have you tried that before? Or all good clarifying questions that you could use. All right, so we got to get 10 of these. But do remember, just as a foundational item, you should probably get permission to ask questions. Then they'll be more open to give you the right answers. If you said something like, well, in order to serve you better or to solve your challenge, can I ask you a few questions? Is it okay? And get permission to ask those questions can be very helpful. I'm also a big believer in finding out who the decision makers are. Sometimes you just got to ask right up front, who else besides yourself will be involved in making this decision? Or you could change it up a little bit to, what is your normal procedure when making a purchase like this? What role will your boss have in this purchase? Are you the only one responsible for making this decision? They're all under the same category. 
but finding that decision maker. Because they'll pretend that they're the decision maker, but you need to find out up front what you're dealing with and who's going to be involved in that final decision. Otherwise, you could be wasting a lot of time. Another good probing question is, describe for me all the features and benefits you're looking for. What is going to make you a raving fan of our company? What do I need to do to make that happen? You're probing for that information. Find out exactly where they're at. And as you continue to qualify them, keep asking those great questions. Can you describe your current vendor? What do you love about them? What do you want improved? How did you expect me to help? What exactly are you looking for? In the past, how did you solve that? How do you see this working? Could you prioritize your wish list? Now, I'm just trying to get your brain going. You're not going to use all these at the same time, but I want you to start thinking about some great questions to get the information that you need. Jose, I have to apologize. I think I lost count, but I'm sure I'll give you at least 10 good categories, some areas to get some great questions. And then it's also very important to have another kind of what I call hit the brick wall questions. Where you're not getting the information that you need. You need to dig a little deeper. Okay, what type of criteria are you using to evaluate? Fill in the blank. What would completely solve your challenge? What do I need to do to make you completely satisfied? If price were no object, what would be the main issue? And sometimes you really have to probe. Is there something you want to say? I sense some hesitation. What's holding you back? You seem hurried. Do you want to meet another day? Because if they start to look indifferent and they're not answering your questions, you've got to dig a little deeper so you're not wasting their time or your time. If they do get angry, say, I'm sorry, that was not my intent. What exactly did you mean by? I apologize. If I seem a little lost, can you tell me about fill in the blank? Well, that's my fault. Let me explain those features again. Now, if you notice here, there's a lot of apology here, and I'm a big believer that apology is cheap. If they ask you a question that you've already answered, you can't get all upset and hurt. You just take the high road and own it. I apologize. I should have explained it better. I'm sorry. So simple to do. Apology is cheap. You get back on track because you could offend them and say, well, we've already talked about that. Weren't you listening? Or go back to the school days when a teacher responds to a question in a way where you know they're trying to make you feel stupid. You cannot go there. If they're confused, if they get upset, if they ask you a question you've already answered, you've got to take the high road. Say, I apologize. It was not my intent. I should have explained that better. Otherwise, you're going to clash and trigger more resistance. And if they still aren't opening up, you just might want to say, well, what can we do to salvage this? If you were me, what would you do? What makes you nervous about purchasing this product or service? You see where we're going with the right questions? You see where we're going with the right questions, getting the information that we need? You need to become the doctor, the examiner, the detective, the psychiatrist, whatever role you want to take on. You have to use the right questions to find the answers. Because when you look at police officers, detectives, doctors, lawyers, they ask questions. And people expect them to ask questions. That helps you become the expert. Because when you're the expert, there's very little persuasion resistance. My favorite example we've used on the show before, when you're at the doctor feeling sick, the nurse is taking your vitals, the nurse leaves the doctor. Well, doesn't even come in, opens a door, just sits in the doorway and says, I know what you have. The prescription will be at the front desk. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in and shut the door. Now, hold on. Let's back up. Let's assume the doctor has just saved you 15 minutes of time, just solved your problem, and now you have the solution to your illness. But you don't feel that way. You're kind of upset. You're kind of mad because they didn't ask the questions. Even though the doctor knew the answer, they still have to ask the questions, and that's true for you in the persuasion process. 
One of the big complaints is it just sounds like the persuader is just pretending to listen. One size fits all. They don't really understand, but they're going to make me purchase this product or service because the persuader thinks it's best, but the persuadee, the prospect, doesn't feel that way because you didn't ask the right questions and they don't feel like you know what their exact problem is. And as you get to that final objection, you're getting close to the sale, and there's that one thing, you can say things like, is this the only reason that holds you back from? Is that the only concern you have in this purchase? I understand that. Can you explain to me why you feel that way? Could you tell me the reasons for and against making a decision at this time? Would you mind telling me what you're thinking about? You look puzzled. Where did I lose you? How would you improve this? And then always have a great question at the very end to help them persuade themselves. Can you see where this will save you $10,000 a year? Yes. Great. Let's get started. Not in a high cheese factor way, but in a way where you've developed the confidence, you have the trust, and you know they're on board. Just make it simple and easy for them to say yes. Some people just like to say, so that's how it's going to solve your problem. Are we doing business together? Okay, make it simple. One I've used before that works really well is, am I the only one excited here? And you just say, well, no. So, all right, well, let's do this. doesn't have to be cheesy. It doesn't have to be intense. It doesn't have to be some of those old-style closes that repel people. You could just use simple questions. Isn't this a perfect fit? Well, yes. Let's get going. Let's do it. Hey, what's the next step to get things rolling? When would you like to start putting the plan into motion? These are simple questions that get simple yeses, assuming you've done the whole persuasive presentation right. If these type of questions surprise them, you need to back up and realize you're persuading the whole time that when you get to those final questions, it shouldn't surprise them that you're asking them to do business with you. So, Jose from the Dominican Republic, hopefully that answers your question. I don't know if I put a specific one, two, three, all the way to ten for you, but I know there's at least ten great questions. So maybe that's what you need to do. Get in there. Find the 10 best questions I talked about today and adapt those to your product, service, idea, whatever you're working on, and you'll have the 10 best questions to make sure you get the right information. Remember, great persuaders, they ask more questions, they're better listeners. They keep people engaged, and all the questions get answered, again, even if it's mentally. So, Jose, thanks for writing in. Appreciate your kind words and your feedback. Maximizers know we're available on YouTube, Spotify, and Facebook at Maximize Your Influence. Get us some feedback. Hit the like button. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. I can be contacted at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Take a deep dive this week and practice using your questions. Learn to maximize your influence and go out and persuade with power. 